1: Thank you all for joining us. Uh, My name is Bill Matz. That is Charlie O'Connor. We're going to get to Mailbag Monday in just a second. But first, have to send a special thank you to everybody who came out on Saturday for our first watch party at New Wave Cafe. I thought it was successful. The post-game show was a lot of fun. The game itself, although it was a 65-minute 0-0 tie against... Those bastard Islanders <laughs> was actually kind of entertaining. Just, I mean, it's funny to play a 0-0 tie. Uh, and then for Tyson Forster to win it in the shootout, Samuel Harrison to play the way he did, the Flyers to kind of dominate the game the way they did. It was a lot of fun. But I had an awesome time. I hope we're going to get to do these again really soon. But now that that's out of the way, I can start promoting for you. Monday, December fourth. It's our takeover at the Wells Fargo Center. Flyers, Penguins, baby. The Keystone State rivalry is back, uh, you know, battling for potentially a wild card spot between these yeah, two teams. and it'll be the second game of a home and home and it's so oh this could be some fireworks could flyers be. penguins home and home this could always go awry high shit show probability <laughs> you can uh we're going to put the link in the description of this show we're going to have it all all over the place uh phly diehard members get a special discount so if you want to sign up to become a uh, diehard member all phly.com you can do that but we'll be also promoting this throughout the week on social media so you have till next monday to get your tickets for Flyers, Penguins, and an hour takeover
0: event. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, th- this will probably be the last one for a little bit. I, the goal I've had from the start is I want there to be an event every month. However, we j- obviously just had the watch party, then we're having the, the takeover. takeover early in December, so most likely our next one won't be until well into January at I think, the earliest. I think
1: it's fair with all of the holidays and everyone's
0: yeah. plans coming up.
1: I mean, I'm trying to go away and like figure out a time in there, so I got to believe all the people who don't do this for a living trying to figure out something as well with the holidays, so we're going to get this one out of the way in December. It's going to be a good time. Hope to see you all there. All right, that's all that stuff. Uh, before we get to the mailbag questions had a few things happen around the team the last few days. We got into Arison and Ristalline in a bit on uh, the post game on right. Saturday. But just before we dig into the mailbag, anything newsy come up today?
0: Not particularly. Really, the only newsy thing, and, and I actually broke this down on my uh, my practice update short on YouTube. If you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, check those out. What I'm I'm doing now is after a practice, after I'm at the at the skate zone, if there's anything interesting that popped up, I'm just going to throw a quick five minute short. You know, I have my little my little tripod with my phone with my microphone, and you get to hear that straight from me. So check our YouTube channel. They will pop up on there, and I try to report. I try to release them on uh, on Twitter as well. But the only real update today was that there was no practice. That I was getting ready to leave my house in South Philly to go to Voorhees and get a text that says no practice. But Tortorella is speaking at ten forty five. So then I had to rush out the door and make sure I was there in time for that. Tortorella basically said that look. The guy showed up. Everybody got there on time, ready to go, and kind of gauged the room and decided they still looked a little tired from the weekend—not obviously from going out and partying, but from the fact that they had a three games and four nights. Thanksgiving was was crammed in there too, and he just felt like they didn't need to go on the ice. They just needed to, you know, hit the gym, do some off ice workouts, do some tape study, some video, and that was it. So no practice, and that was after a full day off on Sunday. So they'll hit the ice, I would assume, for a slightly more in depth morning skate tomorrow maybe more than your usual breeze through um but beyond that you know we didn't see anything so we didn't see any lines didn't see any combos anything like that I did ask him a question because the big focus, I think it was, I put this in my uh, my brief little post sort of practice update. Uh, Adam Kimmelman of NHL.com was very clear. Sometimes you can tell, this is a little inside baseball thing. Sometimes you can very much tell what story a writer is going to pump out later that day because every single question he or she asks at that practice or after that game is very much laser focused on one narrative. And it was very clear that Adam Kimmelman's narrative on this particular day was Travis Sandheim. So he asked a bunch of questions more in general terms about Sandheim. I've already written a couple features on Sandheim. So not really itching to write another big story on Travis Sanheim. but I did ask John Tortorella, Hey, Hey, given the fact that now you have Mark Stahl back in the lineup, you have Resta Linen back in the lineup, and Resta is not getting paid to be a third-pair defenseman. Sean Walker is playing like a second-pair defenseman. Is there any thought to maybe moving Travis Sanheim over to the left? And John Tortorella always said, look, never say never, but... I see him as a right-shooting defenseman, a right-side defenseman, I guess is the better way to put it. And don't expect that to change. So if you are in your head trying to maneuver what the lineup might look like with the returns of Vrissa Leinen and with the returns of Mark Stahl, keep assuming Travis Sanheim is going to stay on that right side because they like him there.
1: It's only a matter of time before we are talking about uh, top-pair defenseman Nick Seeler. On that left side, but that's a conversation for a different day. Uh, yeah, so the practice actually canceled. And, like, to me, that makes sense even after the full day off Sunday, sure. But you had Wednesday against the Islanders, they're a grind. Thursday's Thanksgiving, Friday, a weird one o'clock game against the Rangers, who just tortured them with speed for 60 minutes. True, and then you played a 65 minute 0 0 tie against those grinded out Islanders again it makes sense that they're a little beat up. Uh, like, yeah. you know what? Let's not hit the ice today. Like, I I think that's that's a little bit of that emotional intelligence that I think is sometimes underrated when we're talking about John Tortorella. Like, he might have the finger on his pulse of the team a little more than... We've made the Babcock comparison before. Like, Babcock's like, I don't give a shit. Get out there, kid. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think there might be a little... Like, Tortorella... And we're I have some defensive stats. Maybe we'll drive... Get into this team. He's just doing a great job. He's doing a really good job. You can think job. whatever yeah. you want about John Tortorella, how it fits with the rebuild, whatever it is. Look at this roster. Look at what they're doing defensively. Megan Chaka just uh, tweeted out a bunch of really good um, defensive stats and just like the amount of shots they're blocking, how many deflected passes are turning into turnovers, slot shots they're giving up, low slot shots. They're top five or if not top ten in
0: everything uh they're really good and John Tortorello is doing that yeah i think you know and i've actually had this conversation again in our uh, our discord for our diehards so definitely if you want to have you know direct access to me and bill people just like like send ads to me on this discord during the course of the day and i always and try we're not to allowed to mute you like it's twitter yeah
1: we have to answer yeah. your
0: bullshit like, le- like legitimately i believe it was friday night i was at a uh, a friend's house there was a uh, like a wine party type thing that i i jumped in late and we end up just sitting around the tv watching old guts episodes <laughs> Which was a great time, That's just incredible. You, you pick a kid who is now probably in like his or her like forties at this point, and just root for them to win guts. But we're just sitting there like sipping some whiskey, watching, watching. Guts Charlie lost
1: eight grand
0: on old yeah, right. episodes of Global Guts. But anyway. I'm, I'm also, while doing that, responding to people on Discord because people on Discord want to talk about Morgan Frost. And it's like, you know what? I'm just on a couch watching Guts. I'll respond to some Morgan Frost questions. But one of the things that has popped up in that Discord from our diehards, from a few of them, who I don't necessarily agree with, is that how good of a job is John Tortorell really doing if all the kids aren't playing? How is he really doing? And my response is, look, the Flyers right now through 21 games rank fourth in the league in expected goal differential per evolving hockey which tends to be my favorite of all of the uh, the public models we have access to the teams right below them in terms of expected goal differential expected goal share the avalanche the devils and the stars Jeez now Christ. if the flyers are create are, are generating a better scoring chance differential than those three teams who are leagues more talented than the flyers I'm pretty sure John Tortorella is doing a decent job of coaching this team because the Flyers, like, even if you think the Flyers are more talented than maybe we give them credit for, I don't think there is a person alive that thinks the Flyers have more talent top to bottom than the Colorado Avalanche or the New Jersey Devils. No, like... Like, Morgan Frost's parents don't believe yeah. like, you know,
1: like, no, that's, no one believes. I think that's a zero percent. That's that's as close yeah. to 100 as and, you can possibly get. And I'm not get. saying
0: John Turrell is doing a perfect job. There are legitimate things to criticize Certainly. him for. But if you're talking about the job of the head coach generally is get the most out of the talent you have on hand, he is absolutely doing that so far. That's undeniable.
1: I, uh, just one last thing. I talked about this briefly on the uh, on Saturday's post game Samuel Harrison's numbers I just wanted to dive into them real quickly because it's very funny what's going on with them in his last 5 games he's 4-1-0 with a 937 save percentage pretty good uh, and he's only given up eight goals in these last 5 games but he's he was so bad in those first yeah. 3 his save percentage on the season is still 881 he had a 763 in his first three games. He <laughs> gave up 14 goals on 59 shots. <laughs> like, he has he has dramatically turned it yep. around, and it's a question we're going to get to later. Like, you no, know, a lot of their success is not driven by a ton of the young guys. Listen, I get it. I wish Morgan Frost was just a 100-point player, too. I wish Igor Zamula was like, yeah, pencil him in for second pair. Carter Hart... Turned Won't turn 26 until August. Uh, Sam Harrison just turned 24, I think, in October. The goalies are a big part of this. Like, that's a big part of their success thus far. And, like, I think we're underrating. We all know how important the position is because right. we've been without it for a majority of the last 40 years. Uh, <laughs> but, like, when we're, we always focus so much on the skaters because it is so hard to evaluate goaltenders that, well, the success is so much, Couturier and Konechny. It's like, yeah, also, like Sam Harrison doesn't give up goals the last five games. If he continues on this
0: pace, it's, oh, we have two really good goalies. Yeah, I think I think the problem with goalie evaluation on the part of the fan base... Goal goes in, goalie bad. Well, yes, <laughs> but it's also it's that there isn't consensus. I think when it comes when it comes to the goalies the Flyers have, there's like five different subgroups yeah. of people who think they should do completely different things. Like I I was thinking about this this weekend that you know how on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, there's a meme that is very popular on just Philadelphia sports Twitter in general, it's the uh, like the cocky distraught meme, where yes. it's like either you're either Philadelphia fans are super cocky or they are so distraught that they just don't know what to do with themselves. And I was thinking to myself, it's the same thing with regards to the Flyers' goalies, except on one side, it's what what, did, what was I thinking? It said on one side, it's Sam Arison is so bad he's not an NHL goalie, and then on the other side, it's Sam Arison is so good we need to trade, trade Carter, Carter hard, immediately yeah. because Sam Arison is the guy and. It's in the truth is somewhere in the middle, but it's just everyone swings wildly from one side to the other. Or maybe it's not that people swing. It's that there are some people that just don't like Arison, and then they come out of the woodwork when he's bad. And there's some people that either really like Erson or really don't like Hart who come out of the woodwork when Arison is good and then are like, hey, get rid of Hart. This is the excuse to do so. And it's just it, it makes it. It makes it disorienting for someone who is trying to listen to everyone because you feel like you feel like the fan base can't make up its mind. But in reality, it's that there are small groups that have very much made up their mind, and they just come out and start yelling of when when the results in one game match their preconceived notion yes. of what the Flyers should do.
1: And that's I, I just it's it's just going to be a very funny thing to watch <laughs> evolve over. You know, however long this this entire situation uh, continues. Listen, at the top of the show, I told you all about the uh, upcoming Flyers takeover at the Wells Fargo Center Monday, December fourth. Flyers Penguins. You can get tickets through us. To be part of this takeover, say you miss out on them. It's not as if we have a stadium full of tickets. We have a limited number, right. so get them now. But if you miss out, you're wondering, how the hell can I be a part of this? How can I go see Charlie and Bill down at the Wells Fargo Center? So like, You can see Charlie anytime. He's, he's up there. He'll yeah, just bring binoculars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if you're really wondering, the answer is... You gotta use the Game Time app because buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't ever be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. So Maybe you're holding out. You're hoping I can get in with this, with this PHLY takeover. Doesn't work out. Well, I still have tonight free. I can go boom. Flyers penguins tickets real easy. It's like two taps on your phone with game time and you'll have them and you can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you one hundred and ten percent of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with game, game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code PHLY for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. guaranteed. Teed. All right, it is now time. For the long awaited return of Just Another Mailbag Monday. <laughs> uh, and we are going to lead things off today with uh, one of our regular contributors to Mailbag Monday. It is Ethan Freeman with the first question. Of this Monday, he asks, now that we're about a quarter through the season, how do you feel this team stacks up against the rest of the Eastern Conference? Are the Flyers looking good because of a large mix of Western teams in the early schedule? And with lots of East teams coming up, will that change?
0: I mean, it's a good question. It is a good question. I guess my answer is that if they they lost to San Jose and beat Vegas, they're just ridiculous. But not even that. Yeah if they regress i don't think it's going to be because they're playing east teams if they regress it's just because they regressed because you look at it they what they beat the beat the hurricanes they've now outplayed the islanders twice like they are doing things against eastern conference teams it's not just the west they they outplayed Buffalo twice. Buffalo was supposed to be a, uh, you know, a legitimate playoff contender this year. Now, whether they're actually that, I guess we'll see over the next few weeks. They certainly haven't been thus far, but I don't think this is a product of them playing Western conference teams. I really don't think that's the case, but I think they showed that, but like, yeah, the division games are going to be hard because the Metro is a pretty deep division aside from Columbus. So they could regress, but I don't think they're going to, if they regress, I don't think it's going to be because they're playing more East games just because they, they're not super talented and they might regress. And just in terms of their, like not even their level
1: of play or even their win loss record, um, they could like maintain the same pace, be around 500, maybe a little above right now, they're third in the Metro. They're a point behind Carolina, way behind the Rangers, but You see the Penguins, you see the Devils, especially the Devils. Especially the Devils. Like, they're going to be better. Yeah. There's no way they're they're a 500 team. Like, I just, I mean, maybe their goaltending just never gets sorted, and they're struggling all year with that. But, like, they're 3-7 and in their last
0: 10. I don't expect that to continue. And even that, like, they're, they're getting Nico Heischer back. Yeah. Jack Hughes missed some time. Like, they've had some, not just injuries, but injuries to the big guys, the guys who you can't afford to lose. And if you lose them for a little bit probably not going to be as good of a team they're getting or have gotten those guys back i'm expecting the devils i'm expecting the devils rest of season record to be substantially better than the flyers rest of season record even if the flyers keep this up
1: and that's yeah like i think those things are going to even out More so than maybe the Flyers' level of play. Now, maybe they get into January, February, and you start seeing Boston and Florida and those teams that are like, oh, they're making the playoffs, and they just have another level that the Flyers cannot get to. That's totally possible as well. But right now, I just think it's like the East is very, very weird in what the standings look like currently. And I expect it it to even out. So even if the Flyers stay good, uh, they might not stay in top three in the conference they might not stay in the playoff race uh like i I think it's possible that especially a team like jersey it's just blows them out of the water you know a couple of in, in in a few months
0: i think it's reasonable to say that thus far the flyers have definitely exceeded our expectations i would say have exceeded most of the nhl's expectations and also are probably playing a little bit over their heads as a group. I just said, by evolving hockey's expected goal model, they are the fourth best even straight team in the league. That can't possibly be. I don't think that by game 82, (laughs) they are still going to be the fourth best team in the league. So we're saying all this. We're saying that they've exceeded expectations. We're saying they're better than we thought. We're saying that they're probably playing a little bit over their heads. And even them playing a little bit over their heads and exceeding expectations, they are still like in a wild card spot in the east yeah so if there's even just a bit of regression i'm not saying they're going to fall off a cliff but if instead of being a 54 percent expected goals team let's say they're a 51 percent expected goals team the rest of the way still better than i expected them to be but worse than they've been so far they even if they drop off a little bit that's going to be enough to knock them out of a playoff spot they have to keep this up which is already a lot more than any of us expected, just to remain a wild card team. Like, it's not it's not as if them exceeding expectations has them at the top of the conference. It's them exceeding expectations has them in the mix. They can't afford even a little bit of regression to fall out of the mix.
1: And, like, we talked about um, on on Saturday's post game, I asked you who the MVP thus far has been. And, you know, we discussed Sandheim, but you were like, at even strength, he's getting outscored when he's on the ice. Yeah. Now... Plus minus, maybe not. Not the greatest stat. This is a little deeper than plus minus, but basically it's plus minus. Plus minus on steroids. Yeah. Like, not the greatest stat, but say he regresses a little further. Yeah. Oh, okay. So now all of a sudden your number one defenseman is... No, nowhere close to what we were seeing in the beginning of the season. Yeah. Like, he was already getting outscored. What if it's two to one? Yeah. Like, you know, like yeah. it's, I'm just saying, it's a possibility. Uh, like, regression of some kind is coming. If you don't believe me, the fucking coach keeps telling
0: us. <laughs> uh, but but again, like going back to the initial question, I want to yes. read exactly the way it's worded. How do you think his team stacks up against the East? Look, I the think. The East th- is really good. If the East is good. I think they stack up to the point where. They, as long as they work hard and as long as they, they continue to do the things they're doing, they should be on the ice with every team in the East. I don't think there is a team in the Eastern conference right now that blows them out of the water that they go into that game. and just like, man, they're going to lose five one. I think the Flyers can hang with all these teams. Now, can they consistently beat the best teams? Look, we saw what happens against the Rangers. They, they didn't play, I would say that they didn't play an awful game against the Rangers. They had some breakdowns. The Rangers are really good, and they made them pay for it. And that's what I expect to see happen against the best teams of the East the rest of the year. But they still outshot the Rangers by a significant margin. It's not like they rolled over and died. They played decently well against the best team in the division thus far. I expect those types of performances to happen more and more. It's just that against the best teams, I think they're going to be a little overmatched.
1: And that's like the East has the East is very deep, especially like if if Washington stays good, like, oh, that's something I really wasn't counting on. If Jersey picks it up like the East is deep, but there's no. Vegas, Colorado, Dallas. I agree.
0: Like there's not that. The West probably going to win the cup team. Yeah. The West probably at this point has the, unless you count the Rangers as part of this, which maybe you could, you could, you could so far, they've been great, but like even Boston, Boston's had a great record. Who are their centers? Who are their centers? Actually, do you think
1: Boston's going to win three or four best of seven series? It would be tough. Yeah, it would they be could, it would be tough with but those. It guys. would be difficult. Not to
0: say they don't have great players. Yeah. Charlie McAvoy, oh, David Posternock, Brad Marshamp, but I just I'm skeptical that a team with those centers is the juggernaut that so far they've looked to be. All right. Uh let's move on to the next question here from Michael Hennigan. This is
1: a question that I didn't even like talking about the uh the different sex of um, Flyers fans yes. and their beliefs. Particularly, particularly you know? Online. Did not know that this one existed. Um, from Michael Hennigan, would you say that Tippett is the new JVR? Everyone's going to shit on him, but then he will always put up above average numbers by the end of the season. This is not a dig at him, but he's close to pacing for 30 goals and people still hate him. I honestly did not know that. I was unaware that people were upset about Owen Tippett. I guess I'm 20% disappointed because I was hoping, okay, he's pacing for 30. I was hoping he was pacing for 40. I was hoping he was going to be the guy to lead this team in scoring the way Travis Konechny is. Uh, That said, he's like right behind him. Yeah. Like he's he's scoring enough. He's pacing for 30-ish. I... We talk about how goal scorers are streaky all the time. I don't want to get into this entire thing that I went through because I have, like, paragraphs of research I did. (laughs) But let's call uh, 2011-12 through 2017-18 the uh, Wayne Simmons prime. Wayne Simmons scored at a 29-goal pace for about seven seasons there. He had some of the most you can like some of the most consistent notch him down for 28 ish goals every single year. You knew what you were getting out of Wayne Simmons. Um, the seven game goalless droughts that he suffered throughout that time were plentiful, like uh, one in 20 games. And then he still would finish the year with 28 to 31 goals every single season. It's just the way it is. And if you don't want to go through all those seven years of game logs, um, you did it for us. Austin Matthews <laughs> is probably the best goal scorer in the league. Just pure goal scorer. Got 14 goals in 19 games this year. That's incredible. Just take a, take a look at some of his slumps. Started the season with consecutive hat-tricks, then scored one in his next seven. Then he scored six over a three-game span, and now he has one in his last seven again. This is just how it goes. Like he's got 14 goals, 9 of them in 3 games. Goal scorers are streaky. This is just the way it's going to go. I know everyone uses and this person JVR is the oh well it's it's the negative connotation goal scorers are streaky. Right. Wayne Simmons, my favorite flyer of the last decade or so. The streakiest guy I can remember. Like, I did articles at Sons of Pen about, like, oh, I bet he scores because it's usually about seven or eight games. He goes without a goal and then he goes, you know,
0: three and four. That's just what it is. Yeah. I think there's a couple things at play here and a couple different, not problems, but just a couple different sections of the fans that are probably maybe driving this perception. Because I don't think it's reality. I think the vast majority of fans like owen Tippett, i don't think he is a a hated guy just because he's not off to a super fast star but there's a few things going on here the first thing is truthfully and you kind of danced around this i will come right out and say it because it's something we've said for years dating back to the bsh days is that fans say they want goal scorers what they mean is they want alexander Ovechkin. yes they're not current ovechkin 50 plus yes, guaranteed ovechkin they, they want Every year, 50 goals. They want super physical. They want he's in front of the net. They want he's on the power play, making the power play great every single night. They want the platonic ideal of a goal scorer. A legit superstar. Yes.
1: They want a 50 goal, 100, not just like a Cy Young, Alex Ovechkin style season where it's like 50 goals, eight assists. Like they want the dude who's also entering
0: the zone on the power yes. play. Like yes. Everything. Yeah. So that's part of it is that. Once you've been tagged a goal scorer, if you are not Alexander Ovechkin, there will be a subsection of the Flyers fan base that will get annoyed with you because you're not Alexander Ovechkin. Part number two, and this I think is a reasonable criticism of Owen Tippett. The JVR comparison is interesting to me because while I don't think it's fair, I do not think Owen Tippett plays the same style as JVR, Owen Tippett is a much better skater, like not even freaking close. Owen Tippett can actually fly, JVR was a plotter, like he just was at especially in his return trip to Philadelphia. I do think, though, there's something to be said about the fact that in the second half of last season, Owen Tippett was more obviously – trying to take the puck to the net. He was more obviously embracing this power forward sort of hybrid mentality where hey, he can he can score on the rush, he can rip it, he can snipe it, but he can also take the puck to the net. I think you've seen that a little bit less this year. I'd like to see that a little bit more from him. So I think that's a reasonable criticism and maybe he's looked a little bit more like JVR this year because he isn't spending as much time around the net. He's not he's not taking those power moves to the net that people always scream they wish JVR would do because they saw him do it once in a playoff in the game Boston against Boston series, game. Yeah. And then and then they was like, well, why doesn't he do that all the time? I was like, no, it's just not his style. Tippett, I'd like to see a little bit more from. That's number two. Number three, and I think this is very real, especially on Twitter. I think that through no fault of Owen Tippett he has become the guy this is the who thing. Morgan Frost fans will point at and say why does Owen Tippett get a longer leash from Torts and why does my guy why does Morgan get shit on by Torts and get benched by Torts when Morgan Frost is just the same guy as Owen Tippett he's just a passer and Owen Tippett's a shooter there's no difference it's not fair i think that's insane I, per- personally i think comparing them like they are different levels of play i think it's bonkers because to me it's like I This is where I get into the eye test. I don't know how one could watch Owen Tippett last season and watch Morgan Frost last season and think they were on similar levels. Owen Tippett took over games. Morgan Frost, even when he scored, it would just be like, oh yeah, it was a nice play. Whereas Owen Tippett for for periods at a time, would be like, he's the best freaking player on the ice. I never thought it's, that once about Morgan Frost. Tippett, it year. was like despite the fact that he scored the most points of the team in the final 55 games, I had, never did he? I hadn't heard that. I never heard that before. <laughs> I rarely, if ever, watched a game and thought, man, the best player on the ice right now is Morgan Frost. It's, I often thought that about Owen
1: Tippett. It was so often I thought when Tippett scored, it was like a reward for the previous three shifts. Yeah, right. And when Frost showed up on the score sheet, it was like, oh, there, that's when he did something. Yeah, that's cool. Like I, I just see it as a little different.
0: I, I, it's clear the coach does as well. Yes. <laughs> like, but but I do think that some of the anti-Tippet sentiment is believe. coming from pro-Frost people who want to be like, they want to point out their perceived hypocrisy, the the, the perceived hypocrisy of, of John Turrell in that Whenever Owen Tippett has a bad game, nothing happens. And whenever Morgan Frost has a bad game, he gets benched. And I think that is where some of the anti-Tippett sentiment comes from is this idea that they're in their heads, they're pitting Frost against Tippett, even though I don't think that's fair because I think Owen Tippett's path to being part of the future is much easier to envision than Morgan Frost's path to being part of the future. If that is my personal opinion. If Owen Tippett cares to sign here and wants to be a part of
1: it, he is going to Morgan Frost and zero shape way, shape
0: or form will be a part of this thing. I'm not willing to say zero yet. I know you are. I could still see it happen, but it's over Charlie. <laughs> okay. But I definitely think that Owen Tippett... There's a reason why he's getting more leashed. Number one, because I think he's just a better player. But number two, it's because it's much easier to look three years down the road and envision a roster where Owen Tippett is a key contributor on a good Flyers team. Whereas with Morgan Frost, it's like, okay, so he either has to be the 3C or he has to be scoring 60 points a year on the wing.
1: I have have a little bit more on my Morgan Frost opinion, which continues... To build momentum (laughs) in the same direction that it's been for a while uh, that I'm going to get to with the next question. But first calling all card collectors. Wheelhouse is our go-to sports card gift and apparel shop in the Delaware Valley. Their motto is cards and community because love of sports unites us all. They carry all your favorite card brands like Topps Chrome Baseball and Mosaic Football, as well as t-shirts, hats, and hoodies from brands like Mitchell & Ness, 47 brand, Junk Food, Starter, and Schibe Vintage Sports. And If you're maybe looking to get your own sports card collection graded, Wheelhouse offers PSA grading submissions. They also Host tons of different family friendly events and birthday parties every month. Stop into either of their stores in Wayne or Westchester, open seven days a week at 11 a.m., and use code PHLY to get $10 off any purchase of 25 or more in the store. Also, be sure to give them a follow on Instagram at Wheelhouse Cards. And uh, while we're on the subject of apparel and uh, maybe some sales that are going on right now, This is it, fam. This is your last chance to get the PHLY Cyber Weekend, Cyber Monday, Black Friday sale, whatever the hell you want to call it. It's our right now time of year sale, 25% off. And Monday, today, November 27th, this is your last chance to get 25% off everything at the store. And this is my... uh, and we have all these new releases, a lot of them very good. I do love I'm getting I'm going to get a shirt made of Fletcher Cox in that shirt with me wearing,
0: you wearing that shirt. A shirt. I love that's that. gonna
1: happen at some point in the near future. but um, yeah, all the Eagles new releases, that's cool. Buy our one shirt. <laughs> we have one buy it. <laughs> That's all. Uh, <laughs>
0: there will be more, I believe.
1: There's more coming. There will be more. There coming. are more coming. I do, however, want to make our single flyer shirt the number one seller so we cannot be denied more designs. Exactly. I want you all to go support that. And then when our new designs come out, buy those as well. Buy those
0: too. Yeah. We'll be more, just, we'll be more excited. About just that. buy all the
1: shit. <laughs> uh, buy everything we sell. All right. That's it. PHLYlocker.com uh, locker.com for 25% off. The sale
0: ends. Today have a uh, a little little brief ice sport type Ooh. of uh, in appears about five minutes ago. Dean Evason, the head coach of the Minnesota Wild, has been fired.
1: Wow! I was just listening to, I think it was the Marrick Show on the way here, where they were talking about you know they Billy Garen understands. He doesn't want to make a rash move. He knows that they're at, like, I think it's 14.7 mil of dead cap from their Parisian suitor buyout. So they're, like, operating on a, like, Atlanta thrashers going on a business sale budget. And they're just kind of not living up to expectations. So he doesn't want to, but he's also kind of an impulsive guy. Might just wake up and go, I don't... I gotta do something. I gotta do something. And he's he's
0: done something. So that's interesting. Yeah, Piercey's done something. In Minnesota, I think they were generally speaking expected in the West to be a playoff team. I don't think anybody viewed them as a cup contender, as one of the favorites, but I think people generally expected them to make the playoffs. So yeah. far through 19 games, five, ten, and four, so five and fourteen in terms of real win-loss. Pretty bad. Dean evanson has been been a good coach for them for years. They've won, they've made the playoffs. They haven't done anything in the playoffs. No. So how much of that is him? How much of that is just the Minnesota wild being extremely on brand all the time and never doing anything in the postseason ever, which they really haven't in pretty much their entire existence.
1: in Chuck Fletcher's time there never made a Western conference final.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. I haven't followed that situation closely enough to have an opinion on whether he's actually a bad coach or whether this is just like him being a sacrificial lamb, kind of in the same way that coaches have been for the last 30 40 50 years or you got to do something so just fire the coach can't trade away all the players so we fired the coach but it's interesting that this move has happened this quickly it's, after the Edmonton oilers coach was also fired this quickly we're seeing some early coaching changes in the NHL. that's
1: it, there does seem to be like the consensus like some teams are doing it some teams think they can weather the storm and it's like i think we can but also like we're getting to the point where there's 60 games left. Yeah. Like 60 is not 75. I know this is breaking news that those two numbers that are different do not equal each other. But it's like, all right, slow start. Let's see how it goes. Like, no, 25% of the season is done. You do fall to the part of, oh, we have to play at a 130 point pace just to make the playoffs. Yeah, we got to change something because yeah. it's not changing on its own. So this is just what happens. Uh, all right, back to uh, back to Mailbag Monday and. This is a bit of an interesting one from uh, Luca Diadol, another regular contributor to Mailbag Monday. He asks, should we be worried that guys who we expect to be major parts of the next team, Tippett, Cates, Forster, York, Zamula, Frost are not the ones driving the success of this team and don't seem to be the ones taking big steps forward. And he points out Joel Faraby being the exception. And that's where I wanted to go first. Joel Faraby, um, But you and I were talking about this a little pre-show. Despite them looking better than expected, the Flyers as a whole playing better than expected in the first 25% of this season, this is why they keep telling us it's going to take a while. Yeah, I think Owen Tippett's going to be a part of the future. I think Cam York is going to play a role. Like Tyson Forster looks good, but he needs to score. Otherwise, he's a fourth liner. Like you can have all the details you want. He needs to score. I think he's going to. Noah Cates, a little bit of a disappointment to start this season. They're moving around, seeing if they can find it. Zamula, eh. Frost. You already know my opinion on Frost. They just might not be part of this. I do think like the goalies are being underrated in in this, as I said earlier. It's fair. But where are you here? Because I... I see the. I understand the question, but also like this is why they're telling us it's going to take a while. Because yes, yeah, some of these guys just might not be part of it.
0: Yeah, I I understand the concern. Let me put it that way. I understand the concern. However, I don't think the young players have been like I. I don't think this has been bad. Obviously, he mentions Joel Faraby. Joel Faraby, I think, has taken a significant step forward. But some of the other guys, I think Owen Tippett has been fine. I think Owen Tippett probably has another gear. And I hope he gets there, but I think he's been fine. I think he is. He has shown me nothing so far to disabuse me of the notion that he should be part of this long-term. He looks like a 30 goal scorer. I'd like him to be a 40 goal scorer, but he looks like a 30 goal scorer right now. And that's cool because you know what? You 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 need those guys, especially when they're 24, 25 years old and they're not going to be exiting their prime anytime soon. Tyson Forrester. Yes, he isn't scoring. However, I do think he is making progress and he's young. Like it's, To me, there's been nothing that Tyson Forrester and Bobby Brink in particular, because those are the two guys who made the team And Brink, unmentioned here, he's seventh on the team in scoring, I think. the, The two forwards, the two young forwards, young prospects that made the team, I have seen nothing to worry me about those guys' development. Would it be great? if one of them was scoring at a point per game pace and on the top line and getting 20 minutes a night yeah that'd be awesome that would be something that potentially accelerates the rebuild but in in Tyson Forrester i see a guy who still has all the physical ability to be a goal scorer in the nhl but is making is convincing me that maybe he can be a play driver in addition to scoring once he starts figuring out the scoring aspect. With Bobby Brink, I see a guy who he could be a a 60-point-a-year playmaker. He could be what we're hoping Morgan Frost proves he can be, except as a winger rather than a center. That's exciting to me. That's not a game-changer. you know. It doesn't make them an elite team because Bobby Brink is better than I thought he might be six months ago. But it helps. I think it's a positive development. And that's a young guy who's made a positive uh, a positive step. Noah Cates, I want to see more from. But we're only 21 games into the year. I am in no way, shape, or form writing off Noah Cates, especially because his underlying five-on-five five numbers are still good. I just want to see more offense from him. And I want to see that elite defensive play that he showed last year. I'll be very interested to see if they keep him on the wing for an extended period of time and what his numbers look like on the wing versus center then we can start having a discussion on what his best long-term position is but i still see him as part of the future so i i understand the argument that you could say that the the older players and by older like travis and isn't that old travis konechny isn't that old but i get the argument that they are the ones carrying it right now but in a way I don't think that's a bad thing because it gives the younger guys the ability to develop in lesser roles rather than tossing them into a first line role because you don't have anybody else.
1: And that is um, another part of it is, yes, while you'd like to see these young guys just dominating and they're stars and boom, rebuilds over, we're going to contend for the cup next year. Cutter Gauthier is going to be here off to the races. Hooray. Um, (laughs) Sanheim is stuck here. Yeah. It's good that he's like been a contributor to winning games because he's locked up forever. Yep. Sean Couturier is stuck here. It's good that he's a contributor to winning games because he's going to have to be on the next good team. Yeah. Like maybe you figure a way out of these contracts, but if you don't have to, it's one less thing you need to look for. Yeah. Konechny is the one where it's like could stay, could go. Like you don't know, but we know they really like him. They don't want to move on from him.
0: Well, I, I think you made an interesting parable. I'm actually trying to pull up the uh, the exact numbers just so I'm I'm referencing them correctly. But we were talking a few minutes ago about the Minnesota Wild. And you mentioned about the fact that, yeah, they have all this dead cap space on their books because they had to buy out Parisian Souter. That is, and I am finding this, that is a, a combined 14.6 on 14, the cap six, yeah. um, for this year and next year. Now, imagine, imagine this scenario, okay? That's basically what... Um, Couturier and Sanheim. Imagine if Sean Couturier came back this year and was trash. Looked like, okay, maybe he's a fourth line center and you're paying a fourth line center nearly $8 million. Then Travis Sanheim comes back this year and looks like the exact same really bad NHL defenseman he was last season. Suddenly, you've basically, like, I don't care how good your rebuild is, if you have, what, that would have been, 14 million dollars worth of unmovable negative value contracts of two guys that are sub replacement level players that's essentially the parisian suitor buyouts for the next seven years like I don't care how good Maffei Michkoff is. You're not doing shit with them on your books forever.
1: There's a very, there's
0: a very easy comparison to be made. It's <laughs> Kirill Kaprizov. Yeah. Who's not
1: having a good year. Yeah. So the team fucking stinks. Cause they have no one else. Cause they can't afford anyone else. Exactly. Uh, and I do want to
0: just, but that just, but it just speaks to what you're saying about yeah. like that. those two guys, like that's not just like, Oh, they're old. It doesn't matter. That's, Oh my God! We might have dodged a major bullet of having fourteen dollars, fourteen million dollars worth of dead cap space on our books. Long, like, look, some people might think this rebuild could take a few years. Some people might think this rebuild could take is going to take four or five years. Even if it takes four or five years, those two guys would still They'd have been still massive be cap under deals. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and it's just, a good thing that they are playing better than we
1: feared they might. One more thing on how long this might take, and John, excuse me, John Tortorella's role in like establishing the young guys. And I want to use Morgan Frost as the example here. Okay. Like John Tortorella is attempting to put together a roster. I've, you know, made the comparison like Santa Claus or whoever, like he's got his lists, like his has, it doesn't have it list. And it's not just like, okay, who can I play tonight? Who might put up some points for me on a random Wednesday against another mediocre team. Morgan Frost is capable of that. We saw it last year. He can score some regular season points. Why won't they play him on the wing, Charlie? Because you believe they see him as allergic to contact and therefore, like, the plays high at the point or, you know, along the boards breaking out. He's just going to shy away from that. That's what I've heard is is their belief. If he is allergic to contact, all right, maybe he can get you some points. You know what he's never going to do? fitting into this 2C, 3C role. Be a guy who can, can, who can produce for you in the playoffs. And that's what John Tortorella, in my mind, is building towards. That's part of it. A tough-ass yeah. team that will win a playoff series. We've said a bunch of times, like, once you get into a conference final, you're 1C and they're 1C. Like, you're one first line, they're first line. It's going to cancel each other out. You probably have some really good talent there. Once you get to the second line, third line, that's where it really All right, the team with the best depth. Look at Colorado. Yeah, they have, you know, yeah, you know, we got Nas Kadri as our 2C. We're pretty pretty good shape here. When he's like, not going to suspend well, it. Well, yeah, well, he, didn't <laughs> went, he left Toronto and all that went away. Uh, but like you look at you look at uh, Tampa what they were able to do with their depth. The HBK line in Pittsburgh winning back-to-back cups. Like that's what it is. Your depth will win you those series. If Morgan Frost isn't, tops out as a 3C, it's like, oh, yeah, he can score you 50,
0: 60 points maybe, but ain't going to do anything in the playoffs. What's the point of it? That's part of it, I'm sure. Because, I mean, we, we hear this a lot in, uh, in football, definitely, but also in basketball. And honestly, it's getting over to hockey, too, because you saw it with Denver Barkey. It's just like that concept of, like, does he have that dog in him? <laughs> and, and I truly do believe that, like, look— John Tortorella watches the games, obviously. Even if he says he doesn't, he looks at the numbers. He's looking at scoring chance data. He's listening to his assistants who do that too. But there absolutely is a feeling on his part that he has a unique ability. Right or wrong, whether you believe he has it or he doesn't, he believes he has it. And more importantly, Keith Jones and Danny Briere and Dan Hilferty also believe he has it this ability to discern which players got that dog in them and which players don't. And I do think that is a big part of the Morgan Frost thing is that I just don't think he thinks Frost has it. And and that's going to... He th- he thinks Noah Cates has it. He thinks Owen Tippett has it. He thinks this version of Travis Sandheim has it. He does not think Morgan Frost has it. And that's why Morgan Frost is always going to have an uphill battle winning over John Tortorella. It's just as simple as that.
1: He never will... It's just time to get over it, everyone. I understand that that's frustrating because you see a guy put up the points and you go, well, doing better than most, but it's just not going to be a part of it. Some Tortorella's going to crack some eggs. Like, he, <laughs> he, like, he's an imperfect guy. He's going to have his biases, but he's the one entrusted with coming up
0: with this has it, doesn't have it list, yeah. and he doesn't believe Frost has it. If you, don't, look, just- if, if you don't trust Tortorella, you will, n- you will never accept... This treatment of Morgan Frost. If you do trust John Tortorella, then maybe you should just trust John Tortorella about Morgan Frost. Like, I'm not those even. Those are your two choices, right? Really.
1: It's not even like. I can't. Even if I do or don't trust him, like, I think he's doing an okay job. He could do some things better, but they do. So yeah. this is the reality That's we're fair. living this in. This is the reality. Like, yeah. It's not that, well, you know, nothing I could do about it. Like, no, I. We do a show every day. I do a decent amount of complaining. But it's just like I can't get worked up about a thing that will not change in my mind. Like maybe it does, but don't see it happening. Uh, from SG Bunch of Numbers. Love SG Bunch of Numbers. He's terrific. <laughs> Any of the kids in the minors, and he cites Andre, Jennings and Allison, playing well enough to challenge for a spot. Uh, I don't know if it's any of
0: those three. There are others who but I, I think do are putting up on the map. Two.
1: I do want to point to, first and foremost, uh, Ali Lixell, 18 games played, 12 goals, 18 points. Yeah. Tanner Lezinski, uh 16 games, 17 points with six goals. And our boy from the preseason, Samu Tuamala, four goals, 13 assists for 17 points in 18 games. Now, we just mentioned three forwards. Uh, they already don't have enough spots <laughs> like, on the defense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, well, either, really both uh, either one. Yeah. Uh, it's already looking like a lob jam at offense and defense. I don't think without injury, any of those dudes are coming up, but they are prime
0: candidates post trade deadline, depending on how they handle the trade deadline. Yeah. Going back to, I guess the original question, look, look, I think a lot of these defensemen are probably going to come up after the deadline. I think that's probably the plan they have in their heads. Andre is the one who could earn a call-up just by playing really well. What I've heard, and I'm saying this as someone who has not watched a Phantoms game this year, I'm not going to pretend that I know, that I have a, a personal opinion on how well these guys are playing, aside from looking at the numbers. The people I have talked to who have watched Phantoms games, the general feeling is that Andre's not quite ready yet. But he's making progress, so like that—that that gives me a good feeling because I'm quite high on Emil Andre's potential. Emil Andre to me is the one more so than Adder, more so than than Jinning, who could potentially, you know, just go on a run for three weeks and then they're like, "Yeah, he's ready. We need to give him a look." Because I know they have those conversations. That that said, I think on defense, especially now that Stall and Ruslan are back, they're still trying to find spots for Zamola. To me. Guys like Adderd and Jenning, I think they will get a shot, but it might not be until later or it might not be until they get hit with a bunch of injuries again because they had just had, they had an opportunity to call one of those two guys up and instead they called up Louis, and Belpedio. Louis Belpedio and Victor yeah. Mette. That shows you that they don't think those guys are ready yet. So that's on the defensive side. The forward side, the guy I'm really excited about is Tuamal because, okay, Lixell had his looks last year. I like Oli Luxel. Lixell. I like the talent. I wonder if he's always going to just be a quad A guy. He's just a tweener. He's a tweener. I've always worried about him in terms of that same way that I worry about David Kasha. That like he's going to be a guy who can <sighs> score at the AHL level, get a call up, you know, maybe and like maybe his best case scenario is like being like a Joel Kiviranto where he has like one shining moment where he's he looks amazing for oh, a stretch nah, 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 nah. and then that's it. And then he just spends a lot of time in the minors. Tuamala is the guy who's interesting to me because this is a guy I got to give him credit, and I actually pointed him out uh in my Thanksgiving piece. Go read that on allphly.com. It was an interesting S- thing. Sammy, the Sammy Kapanen, yeah. I think, might God. be molding Samu Tuamala into Sammy Kapanen version 2.0. my guy. And that is exciting. Because when they drafted Tuamala, the, the concern with him, which was a fair concern based on what I watched, both in terms of tape that I watch and then also what I watch at development camp and things like that is that he's a shoot first guy who plays in the perimeter. He's real fast. We love the speed, but does he have the hockey IQ to score, to create offense, to to be able to take advantage of those physical skills? And I think what you saw right after he got drafted was that he slowly but surely realized that this shit ain't going to work at the higher levels. That I am not going to be able to, to skate and shoot my way into being a top six four at the NHL level. So he really had two options. His option, his first option was, okay, I could just do all that in Europe, make some money, and and that'll be fine. I'll just be a second round bust who scores a lot of points in European leagues. His option two was, I could change my style and turn myself into a Sammy Capitan type, where I am a gritty, I mean, really fast, gritty forward who. Attacks on the four check, who is a really, really good third line speed forward who isn't gonna score a ton of points, but I'll score my points because I'm skilled. I'm more skilled than your average third line forward. But I play a game that is more NHL translatable. And I think what you're seeing this year in the AHL is Tuamala reaping the rewards of changing his style to be more of a North American style. Look. You can play that way. You can play the way he wanted to play if you are just really, really talented. Yeah, if you're a 45-goal scorer. Yes, he's not that. It already ain't working out for Patrick Laine, and he's got one of the best shots ever. Exactly. <laughs> now you're seeing to Amal and I saw it in a big way at development camp over the summer, and I saw it during training camp, honestly. He's playing this, like, you watch that, and you watch the way he plays, and you're like, that'll work in the NHL because he's just first in on the four check. You know, he's not the biggest guy, but he's playing physical. He's, he's playing the man he's attacking the net front and his speed is game-changing. He's a really fast player. You add that into a player who's now playing more of a bottom sixer type style and you give a bottom sixer high end speed. I mean, you're talking about Ryan Paling. If Ryan Paling had better, I was just
1: going to, I was just going to make the, uh, the paling comparison. Uh, and that's, I just remember watching in uh in preseason being like, he is better than expected and getting a longer look than expected. Yeah. Tortorella thought, man, this kid just looks really good. All it takes for you to look really good, you know what it is. Shop at FOCO because FOCO has the absolute best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. Whether you're looking for team apparel for the season ahead or Overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, anything you need for game day. Or maybe you need some accessories, toys, collectibles, or novelty items for your Man Cave, She or podcast set. You've got to use FOCO for all your team gear needs. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in the description of this show. And for all non-presale items, use promo code PHLY10. That's promo code PHLY10 for 10% off. Only a Foco. Get those hoodies, baby. Um, we have one question that I was really hoping to get to on this show. Uh, we can get more into it tomorrow. Okay. But just... Massimo Rizzo, part of the... Uh, yeah. Tony D'Angelo trade, non-trade buyout. It was eventually he was going to get traded here with Tony when that fell through. Right. It, it, was, it was a trade, as much as they say it, it wasn't. It they was a they trade. traded him. Yeah, it just made more financial sense to to buy him out. Uh, and 20, the NHL were being yeah. like was being a really really annoying real stickler for us. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, you swing your stick at someone's head. Yeah, it's like a five thousand dollar fine. Try to trade a guy who doesn't fit in here before, like you know, three hundred and sixty two days instead of three sixty five. Nah. Ain't gonna fly. Can't do that. All right. Baseball bat swings, though. That that's cool. yeah. That's totally no big fine. Deal. Totally fine. Five grand. All right. So Rizzo, Carolina's 2019 seventh round pick came over, and then whatever went on with the D'Angelo stuff. <laughs> turned 22 over the summer. It's his third year at University of Denver. Currently six goals, 25 points in in 14 games.
0: Leads the NCAA in points. Anything there? Look, I, th- I think I we talked about this maybe last month. I might have talked about it in a mailbag. I think it was I talked about it this by start of November diehard mailbag or maybe the normal mailbag, one of the two. My view of, of Rizzo is this: at this point, he's certainly done enough to earn himself an entry level contract from the Flyers to see what he can do in the minors. That said, the general scouting consensus around Rizzo is that he is another one of those tweener types where he will put up points in the AHL probably, but the game doesn't have a lot of obviously translatable elements to the NHL level unless it turns out that he can just do everything he's doing in college also in the NHL, which does happen. Like that happened with early career Shane Gossespierre. Shane Gossespierre had a lot of doubters, put up production in in, in college with Union. And then the thing was, oh, well, he won't be able to do that in the NHL. And then he hit the NHL and he still did all the same shit. So like it, Adam Fox on a, on a slightly lower degree, because he was a bit more highly touted than Shane spare, But I don't think people expected him to be one of the top five best defensemen in hockey.
1: And really, if not for his antics, would he be as like, every would everyone have known Adam Fox
0: if it was like, I'm only playing for the Rangers? Exactly. exactly. He got traded three times or whatever it was before he finally played. My point is, is that okay. I think generally speaking, the scouting community views him as someone who the production makes him look better than he actually is. However, the production is still hard to ignore. And at the very least, he's earned an entry-level contract to see what he can do at the pro level. And hell, maybe it turns out he's one of those rare pieces who can keep doing all this cool shit at the next level. Look, if he... My understanding was that at least based on what they had seen going into the summer... The Carolina Hurricanes did not expect to sign Massimo Rizzo, which is why they were willing to offer him up in a deal for Tony D'Angelo. If he had not been traded for D'Angelo, and if the Hurricanes had still decided at the end of whenever his college career ends that they do not want to sign him and they do not think he's an NHL caliber player, he 100% would have gotten an offer from someone else yeah. as a college free agent. So to me, it's like, why not give him that offer and see what he can do? And maybe he's one of those guys who just can keep it going at higher levels. And, you know, I'm trying to think of the right word here. I've been stalling. Basically, just like beat the odds, you know, silence the doubters, be that kind of guy because there always are guys like that that do it. It's not often, but it happens. Maybe you can be one of those guys.
1: I have a whole bunch in here about uh, potential comparisons. uh, But just one thing, like for comparison's sake, This is his. This is Rizzo's third year at University of Denver. He turned 22 over the summer. The second leading NCAA scorer, uh, teammate, and I gotta believe line mate Jack Devine, he turned 20 in October. It's also his third year at Denver. Like he's 22 playing against. Yes, there are like some 25 year olds out there, but there's also some teenagers out there. True, like he's 22. He's a man at this point. You know, like there's just. It might be a little. Now, I did look up, like, for comparison's sake, Cooper Marodi. Because, uh, every. oh, look at his numbers in his third year.
0: Few potential future Rizzo teammate.
1: Yeah, could I mean, be. Marodi's like,
0: doing doing pretty well in the age of I will fans. say,
1: like, Rizzo's production, while it has grown each year, he's been productive each year of his college career. And, like, a guy like Marodi, it, like, exploded in that right. year three. Like, okay, now I'm just 25, like I'm bigger than everyone, I'm going to be awesome. Rizzo has produced every year, so there might be something there, but you always have to keep in mind, like, it's college, there are times he's out there against teenagers. Yeah. at, at, At 22, whereas, you know, in the CHL, yeah, you're
0: 20. Get out of here. Look, I think it's reasonable for fans to look at his stat line and look at his production and be excited. It's something to keep note of. Like, look, you got something for Tony D'Angelo. Something. something, Rather than nothing. Which they were going to get if they bought him out and didn't have a side deal set up in place.
1: All right, uh, we have some more questions that I want to get to on Wednesday. We have some more stuff from the Discord chat. Maybe we'll do a uh, state of the rebuild show on Wednesday. I know that'll be a lot different from our regularly scheduled program. Yeah, but this time we're calling. Yeah, it we're going to we're the gonna call show. it that. So you That's write it the down. Difference. You write it down in your calendars. Oh, state of the rebuild. There we go. Yeah. So we're going to do that. Uh, tomorrow is a post game, so join us after the Flyers for a post game show. But that'll do it for today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already hit that subscribe button follow us on twitter follow us right here on youtube make sure you're uh, subscribed to the podcast all that good stuff go to allphly.com
0: become a diehard so you get a discount on the takeover tickets also with the diehard i am I, i'm not going to guarantee this but i am planning to work on my Quarter, not quarter poll, quarter of the way through the season, season grades for the Flyers. That will be a diehard only article. So if you want to read that in anticipation of our State of the Rebuild show on Wednesday, why not look into the possibility of becoming a diehard subscriber?
1: You should probably do that. All right, that'll do it for us. For Charlie O'Connor, I'm Bill Matz. CM Punk is back.